hope. The first thing Noah did after exiting the ark was to worship God. Genesis 8, 20-21 God received his sacrifices with pleasure and rehearsed his grace. He would never again curse the ground or destroy all living things as he had done. That much in itself was enough to preserve hope, but God was not done. He took further steps to make sure life on earth would remain hopeful in the future. He promised Noah, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Genesis 8:22. That was even better. Now Noah had a promise that seasons and crops would continue indefinitely, and that harvests would come. Now that was hope. This is why Noah almost immediately decided to become a farmer. It was a rational decision if you think about it. There was no industry left, no economy, no division of labor. He certainly had shipbuilding skills, but there was little use for that with nothing to ship and no one to ship to. What did he have left but lots of skill with animals and food supplies? So, farmer it was. The next thing he did was plant a vineyard. Now, there's lots of good theology in all of this. That's right, lots of theology in farmers and vineyards. The first is in what the record actually says. It says literally, Noah began to be a man of the soil. Genesis 9.20 The ancient Hebrew text uses the word adama for soil or dirt. It is this Adama, or dirt, from which Adam, man, was literally created. The text, in a very poetic way, is saying that Noah had become a new Adam. In doing so, he returned to the simple life of working that soil from which we have all come, and which provides for us all. But there's even more theology, in the concept of the vineyard and wine. Of course, we are all familiar with the wine served in the Lord's Supper or Communion. There is, however, a deep, rich history of theology and symbolism behind that. Noah planted a vineyard and then drank the wine that came from it. This didn't happen overnight, and that's part of the key. Noah was a new Adam in a new creation, and he began a project that required a very long-term vision. It was a new kingdom and one in which there was rest from sin and judgment. Everything about vineyards and wine speaks of peace and rest. You can't build a vineyard in the midst of war. You can't build a vineyard and make wine quickly or in haste. It takes steady work over long seasons to plant, cultivate, grow, prune, harvest, then press, ferment, bottle, age. After long months, perhaps even years, finally wine is ready. And once all work is done and wine is ready, there is obviously a season of rest from the toil. But there is also a spell of rest as wine is imbibed and has its effect. This, as I said, is not an endeavor for times of war, unrest, judgment, or haste. It requires a realm of peace, and such a realm of peace is only available under the realm of an established kingdom. For this reason, wine is the symbol of a newly established king, or kingdom, all throughout scripture. Sounds novel, but it's there, 
and it's consistent. Here, we see it with Noah. We see it also with Abram. After vanquishing four Canaanite kings, he returns with spoils and tithes to Melchizedek, who serves Abram a meal of bread and wine. Genesis 14. When Saul was inaugurated king of Israel, Samuel prophesied he would be met by three men bearing bread and wine. 1 Samuel 10.3. After Saul is rejected and young David anointed for his place, there the same bread and wine appear in the narrative again. 1 Samuel 16.20. When King David had fled his throne from the conspiracy of Absalom, a servant met him on the Mount of Olives with loaves of bread and wine. 2 Samuel 16.1-5. Prophesying the restoration of David's kingdom. When Nehemiah longed to return his people to rebuild Jerusalem, the pagan king made his decision over wine, Nehemiah 2.1 and following. And of course, when Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples and inaugurated the Lord's Supper, he did so with bread and wine. This is more significant than most people realize. Not only did all of this wine kingdom imagery exist in the scriptural background, but wine was noticeably absent from the original Passover feast. Jesus added it for the first time as part of the New Covenant ceremony. Jesus specifically called the wine, the New Covenant in my blood. It was the symbol of this new Adam's, new creation's, new kingdom of God. And he was the new King of Kings. The original Passover was just the opposite. It was to be celebrated in haste as the Israelites had to be prepared to flee during the judgment on the Egyptian land and people. They were told to have their belts and shoes on, prepared to leave on a moment's notice. For this reason, they were not even allowed to put leaven in their bread. Waiting for yeast might take too long. No, it was pure haste. But not with Jesus. He had already announced that the kingdom of God was at hand, Mark 1.15. It was in their midst already, Luke 11.20 and 17.21. He was about to inaugurate his rule through his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension to God's right hand. He was laying the foundations for a long-term kingdom of righteousness and peace in which wine could be produced and enjoyed. The addition of wine was the symbol for this. It is this victory of King Jesus that is the hope of every Christian looking forward to our victory as his body. It was the same with Noah. He had such hope. But remember, there was a lot of work to do in that long-term kingdom endeavor. Noah was the victor, and his victory was all of God's grace, none of his own works. Yet, that victory came in a very earthly way, and it involved tons of work that Noah had to do. Work. One of the most important works Noah had to do was spiritual. Have the courage to stand on principle, faithful to God's word, no matter how much the rest of the world declined from the way. Noah was to remain faithful no matter how ridiculous whatever he had to do made him look in the eyes of society. All of society, that is, including the lawyers, politicians, talking heads, pastors, policemen, Scholars, teachers, engineers, union workers, builders, social leaders, and millions of mainstream individuals who follow all those. Noah was to remain faithful no matter how toilsome and expensive that way became, or how much the others ridiculed him in it. 
Noah was to remain faithful no matter how those he deemed most conservative and close to him called him a Puritan, a holier-than-thou, a loser, and abandoned him. And despite all peer pressure, Noah was to remain faithful no matter how big or hopeless his task looked from his immediate perspective. Noah knew we must not judge God's word according to society. We must judge society according to God's word. And that rule applies to every area of life. Part of the broader scope of kingdom work Noah had to do was a very new thing for society. For the first time ever in human history, after the flood, God gave mankind direct sanction for civil government. Having seen all of the violence grow in the old world unchecked, God now instituted Noah to be a ruler and instituted a law to protect human life. He said, And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Genesis 9, 5-6 This is the first biblical record of God-sanctioned civil government. It gives both law and sanctions for breaking the law. The shedding of man's blood is unlawful whether done by beast or man, even family. The sanction imposed is the death penalty, to be administered by man. In God's first introduction of civil law and civil government among men, the only law given was for the protection of human life. We may speak of other rights today, for example, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, private property, the right to bear arms, etc. But we see here, that the fundamental civil right, which subsumes all others, is the right to life. Beyond civil government in particular, Noah was tasked with cultural dominion in general as well. God told him and his sons, Be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth, and multiply in it. Genesis 9.27 This was a renewal of the original dominion mandate given to Adam. Genesis 1.26-28 new Adam, new mandate. So, we see Noah tasked with worship, work, defense, and dominion. These are the basics of the kingdom of God. They can certainly be perverted still and misapplied, but they cannot be escaped. They are not only the basics of the kingdom, they are the basics of any society, and they should always and only be done in accordance with God's word and God's ways. It is no different for us today. After Jesus was resurrected and just before he ascended into heaven, he gave his disciples the same basic dominion mandate. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." Matthew 28, 18-20. There he was, the head, telling the body to go out and increase, multiply, make disciples, but to do so comprehensively, all people, all nations as nations, and teaching everything Jesus commanded. That's the whole of the law and gospel. The command is not to go save souls from among the nations, the command says neither save souls nor from among the nations. The command is more comprehensive. 
It is literally to disciple the nations by teaching them to observe, that is, obey, everything Jesus commanded. Now that's considerably different than many preachers today present it, but that's what the record says. We, as God's remnant, faithful believers in His Word, uncompromising, enduring ridicule and violence if need be, have this task before us. Everything He commanded includes everything over the soul, as well as everything in earth, government, law, economics, business, finance, education, military and war, welfare, and much more. Everything, everyone, every area of life. Just as Noah in the days of old, we have a huge and long-term task ahead of us. The good part is that our ark is already built, Jesus Christ. Our ark has already endured the flood, the tomb, and our ark has already landed on dry ground, the resurrection. We have already endured these as well in our baptism into Him. We have even already been given our vineyard and our wine, the Lord's Supper. Now it is our task to multiply and fill the earth, to make disciples of all nations, and to continue to spread the kingdom in every area of life until the Lord returns. There is no reason to expect despair or escape. There is every reason to expect a long-term kingdom to endure until he returns. So let's get busy. That is the true story of Noah. It is the true story of Christ. In this dark age filled with corruption and violence, if we believe in him, it is our story too. It's not Hollywood. It's heaven come to earth.